I'm Shahar Azani, and this is Israel at War. As Israel continues its battle against barbaric Hamas in Gaza, eyes are pointing north. In the past few days, a number of key terror leaders of Hamas and Hezbollah have been assassinated in Beirut, Syria, and southern Lebanon as attacks against civilians and civilian homes, as well as IDF infrastructure, escalate by the day. Joining us all the way from northern Israel is our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Reserve Sarit Zahavi. She is the founder and CEO of the Alma Research and Education Center and Israel's Eyes Up North. Sarit is an IDF intelligence veteran and security expert. She lives with her husband and five children in the village of Kfar Vradim, located in the Western Galilee region of northern Israel. Sarit, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. So first of all, allow me to ask you, how are you? What, what's new? What's going on? Share a little bit of, of your personal feelings. I saw in your um, one of your recent e-blasts, you shared some of those, those emotions, if you'd be willing to share with our viewers. Uh, what can I say? Uh, we feel it's a new era when we speak of, uh, you know, looking forward to the next uh, years here. Kind of uh, going back to um, the daily situation we used to have, when uh, IDF was inside Lebanon, and at the same time we had terrorist attacks uh, coming from West Bank. Uh, you know, we used to open the radio every morning to listen who was put, killed in Lebanon today. So today we open the radio every morning to to hear who was killed in Gaza today. Uh, every day, uh, soldiers are losing their lives in this war in Gaza. Uh, at the same time, from Lebanon every day there are uh, attacks uh, by Hezbollah. Uh, drones and anti-tanks and you know yesterday in one of the kibbutz uh, which is not far from where I live and two kilometers from uh, the border and they took me to the school and I saw a direct hit of an anti-tank missile that was uh, deliberately shot against the of course the community is empty there were no students there this was a few weeks ago everything is still as it is because the insurance company is afraid to come and see the damage so they don't touch it and they don't fix it or anything. Um, the missile uh, penetrated the wall. It actually went through the window, entered the auditorium, crossed the auditorium, and penetrated another wall. We don't see the solution for that. And I think that's the main problem here, Apnos, that people here don't see What's the prospect? How is this situation going to change exactly? We can talk on different options, but I'm not sure these options are solutions. Uh, solution is a, is a tough word to use uh, with this situation, but I saw one of the videos that you released that actually shows a missile passing in front of a civilian vehicle. Right. This was, uh, again, in the upper galley. Uh, it was a camera that was installed in a vehicle that was driving of, of the people who were left, actually, in the community. Again, the communities are empty. Uh, and the camera uh, caught the Cornet missiles, um, uh, which is one of the advanced ones because the picture was taken around eight kilometers from the border. The Cornet missed the vehicle within a few meters and crashed not far from the vehicles, like 20 meters from the vehicle. And what they did is just they froze one shot from the video, and that you can that way you can see the missile, right, and how close it is to the vehicle. 
So, Sarit, um, these Hezbollah operatives, they're deliberately targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure. It's not a, a mistake that they're targeting the school and the cars and the, you know, the major towns and villages there. It was very comfortable to us, to tell you the truth. At the beginning of this war, to say that Hezbollah is targeting the IDF soldiers, including the IDF soldiers that are inside the communities now, uh, protecting the... The evacuated communities, okay? Right. But if you count the amount of hits that we had since this war started, of the homes that were hit, and there were no soldiers in these homes, okay? It was not, you cannot say that these places used for, for the soldiers or anything. The amount of hits of the chicken school. Uh, there is a community that the, the chicken coop are just next to the, facing Hezbollah. And they had a few hits already. In these chicken coops, the fact that farmers are becoming targets, uh, I cannot say anymore that they are just targeting uh, military uh, presence up north. It's just, it would be wrong for the people that their homes were destroyed. There is no excuse for that destruction of homes. There are homes in Metula. People cannot even go and see what's the damage because it's too dangerous to go there. Uh, in Manara, the spokesperson of Manara, uh, said that out of 155, 86 were damaged. Damage can mean a, a broken window and can mean that the whole house was completely destroyed and it can mean that there is a hole in the roof. Okay? Damaged. So what, uh, IDF was using 86 homes of Manara? No, it was not. Definitely not. So this, and, and Hezbollah was proud of this. Uh, strikes against against these homes and publish it by by itself. Like Manara and Metula are very good examples of Hezbollah that show the heat in homes in these places. And, and Hezbollah itself publish it. Right. Um, you know, they were they were talking about, you know, the differentiation of these forces attacking Israel in the north between Hamas operatives in that area, Hezbollah operatives. Is there really a difference or is it just, are they working together in a collaborative effort? Yes, they are working together. Uh, again, at the beginning of the war, it was very easy to say Hezbollah is launching anti-tanks, Hamas is launching rockets, Islamic Jihad uh, penetrations. Uh, along the way, uh, we saw a penetration, an infiltration, sorry, an infiltration of Hamas, um, and, and we saw of the anti-tank swords the king of uh, Amal, who is uh, another Shiite party in Lebanon. Uh, it is becoming more and more difficult to divide, but I can say that Hezbollah, since Hezbollah is the organization that claims responsibility for its attacks, we can say that most of the attacks are coming from Hezbollah. Right. This is, there is no doubt around that, and probably most of the anti-tank missiles attack and accurate attacks, uh, as I've said, deliberate attacks, like yesterday there was a uh, an attack of UAVs. Okay, there is a better word for that in English, but in, in Hebrew, the, an attack of UAVs in various places at the same time, one of the UAV uh, succeeded to get all the way to around the spot to the uh, headquarters uh, and crashed in the parking lot. So that, that's why nobody was hurt. This is a Hezbollah drone and Hezbollah claimed responsibility for this, these attacks yesterday. You know, you've been monitoring the situation for years now. Has any of this 
um, the Hezbollah's capabilities. Has any of it surprised you in any way? Are you no. positively surprised, negatively surprised, impressed, not impressed? What's your take on what we're seeing now? Look, as a, as a person who lives here, we feel really bad with, with, with what is happening. And you always want to be optimistic that uh, you live in paradise and, and everything is okay. And uh, when people used to talk about war, and, and even though I mentioned that Hezbollah is dead in war, I always said, okay, everything will be fine. I wanted to be optimistic. But um, of course, I was not surprised with the capabilities themselves. The capabilities uh, exist and and uh, we knew about them. Uh, we knew that this, this would be the scenario that Hezbollah will use these uh, capabilities that the... Uh, Yesterday, again, is a good example with the UAVs attacks. We knew all of that. You, um, what do you make of Israel's uh, responses in Lebanon, southern Lebanon? The, we've heard, I mean, there are those who claim that even when Hezbollah um, terrorists are firing from civilian homes in southern Lebanon, Israel doesn't fire back at those locations, or does it clarify the Israeli response in southern Lebanon for us? Israeli response and Israeli policy in Lebanon and, and, and anywhere else is that civilians are not a target. That's it. There is no discussion around it. Civilians are not a target. Uh, those who are not involved in fightings are not a target. Neither their homes, nor their cars, nor I don't know what, okay? Right. Or their schools, okay? What the, the target is the terrorists and their infrastructures. The problem is that these terrorists, like in Gaza, the same in Lebanon, are hiding their munitions and uh, their vehicles and their missiles uh, inside the civilian infrastructure uh, or under the civilian infrastructure. And this is how civilians are getting killed. So actually the other side is deliberately using uh, its own people. I'm saying the other side, I mean Hamas and Hezbollah. Right. Using the, the its own people, whether they are Lebanese or Gazians, uh, to become human shields and to put them at risk. Both uh, terrorist organizations don't truly really care about human lives. They, on the contrary, the education is an education for what we call the culture of death. Um, in in the funeral of uh, the commander of uh, Radwan Brigade that was assassinated uh, this week. They called um, your martyrs. Okay, this is what they shouted in the funeral. Sorry, they shouted what? We you, you your um translated from Arabic. Your martyrdom is blessed. Right. Okay. In another funeral, uh, they carried posters, Khomeini uh, and Khamenei, supreme leaders of Iran, and they were shouting, "Death to Israel! Death to America!" Uh, that's the culture of hate and the culture of death. It's, it goes well together. And even though in Lebanon it's a Muslim Shiite society and in Gaza it's a Muslim society, in this respect it's the same values. Right. And uh, and except that in Lebanon you also see the level of uh, loyalty to the supreme leader of Iran, which we don't see. You don't see that in Gaza. In Gaza. And uh, when you talk about Israeli deterrence, when Hezbollah and Lebanese look at what's happening in Gaza and the destruction in Gaza is a result of Hamas's brutality. What does that make them think about the potential for war with Israel? Does it deter them from entering into a war with Israel or not so much? From my understanding, what they see is that Sinwar is still alive and we didn't bring back the 100, uh, more than 100 hostages. Okay? 
So we can talk of a psychological achievement, which again, I can hardly believe in psychological achievements after all. If I would, we can talk about it only after the leaders of Hamas are uh, not with us anymore. And as long as we didn't find them and they are alive, uh, this is what Nasrallah takes of that. Look, uh, Lebanon in 2006, the whole world remembers the Lebanese prime minister crying in the UN, uh, asking for help for Lebanon. Hezbollah did the same thing in, in Lebanon and many buildings in South Lebanon and in the Dakhia in Beirut were destroyed. But if Hezbollah is looking backwards 17 years and not few 17 months, what it can learn out of 2006 is that the opponents of Hezbollah in Lebanon became weaker. Is that if before 2006 there was a national dialogue in Lebanon, that its mission was to discuss, among other things, uh, the disarmament of uh, Hezbollah, today nobody talks about the disarmament of It's just not... Not, not out there, not being discussed, nor not, uh, in Lebanon, either in the uh, international uh, system. So I think that if you try to get to their state of mind, after the destruction of many areas in Lebanon, Hezbollah not only recovered, by, but became stronger. In Gaza, even though Gaza is destroyed, uh, we, all agree, we can all agree on that, the leaders of Hamas are still underground alive. The hostages were not released, and there is huge pressure from international community for a cease fronts, meaning we're not going to finish the job if this pressure will continue. Right. Or if we succumb to this pressure, which I hope we don't, because there is, like you say, Sarit, there is a job that needs to be finished. Um, let's talk about solutions. By the way, the job that needs to be finished for the sake of the Gazians themselves. Right. Okay. Because if we will not finish with Hamas, Hamas will recover and uh, will control Gaza again. And it's not that Gaza was a blooming, uh, democratic, uh, nice, beautiful place before this war. Okay, right. Hamas controlled Gaza brutally. We want Gaza to become Dubai. The first thing we should do is to eliminate Hamas. That's the first right. step. Right, right. There is so much that can be said about that. I want to ask you about the solutions. We spoke, let's first of all remind our viewers, Resolution 1701 of the UN. What is that resolution? No, I want to start from reminding our viewers Resolution 1559. 1559 is a resolution of the United Nations Security Council from 2004. Right. And this resolution said that the Syrian forces should withdraw from Lebanon. This happened. That Lebanon should have elections. It happened. And that all armed militias, Lebanese and non-Lebanese, uh, in Lebanon should be disarmed. Didn't happen. Okay, and nobody talks about that anymore. Right. 1701 is saying that in the area from the borderline to the Litani River, which is a maximum 20 kilometers uh, wide, uh, this area should be empty of any illegal uh, presence, whether it's bases or arms or personnel, whatever. The only one who are allowed to carry guns in these areas it's the Lebanese army and UNIFIL. Uh, the, the resolution also says that UNIFIL uh, can be maximum 15,000 soldiers. It is today 10,000 soldiers. It is also saying uh, that UNIFIL should assist the Lebanese army and force the resolution. 
And uh, the tunifil can do whatever it takes uh, to make sure that this area is not used for any uh, violent activity. So Israelis read the last sentence I've just said, that you whatever it takes to make sure that this area is not used for any violent activity. The rest of the world is taking the previous sentence that said that UNIFIL should only assist the Lebanese army. So what do we come up with? A resolution that it doesn't clear who should enforce it. There is no deadline to enforcement. So we are 17 years since this resolution. Right. Nothing happens. And this resolution and all of those resolutions that came afterwards that uh, renewed the UNIFIL mandate every August, meaning these are the demands from Lebanon. What are the demands from Israel? The demands from Israel is to withdraw from uh, completely from Lebanon. The United Nations uh, recognized the Israeli withdrawal from Lebanon even back then in, in, 20, in, in 2000, May 2000, but the Lebanese didn't. And what is now, as we speak, on the table is what it called the, the, the land disputes, 13 land disputes along the Israeli-Lebanese border, and three more, which Israel says, this is an area that we took from Syria, and Lebanon is saying, no, this is actually a Lebanese area. And in these three others, in one of them, there are Israeli citizens. So if we will withdraw, the name is Rajar. If we will withdraw from Northern Rajar, since by the UN the border goes in the middle of this town, right. we are actually giving up Israeli citizens, putting them, putting them at risk or evacuating them. I don't know. Okay, these are Israeli citizens, Alawites. That's the that's the their religion. The rest of the three areas, which are the two other areas, which are. Uh, taken from Syria, and Lebanon claims it's theirs, and the UN agreed. These are areas in, in Sheba, what the name, the Lebanese name is Sheba Farms, we call it Mount Dov, meaning that it controls the whole area, there are water uh, springs that are coming from there. Uh, it's a strategic area for the state of Israel. So to give up all of this without enforcement, without a deadline, this is a very high price to pay for nothing. Right, right. So, so before us are basically, I mean, I'm sure there are more, but two paths. One is achieving some sort of a settlement diplomatically, politically, without the need for war. And the second is for Israel to go for a, an all-out war against Hezbollah up north, because so far we've seen war taking place, but not at the level that we've seen in Gaza. How do you see both options? Like, chances-wise, how do you view the future? I know none of us is, pro is a prophet, but... Looking into the future, what do you see based on your extensive expertise on Hezbollah? You've been monitoring them, their leadership, the sentiment. What are they saying amongst themselves? No, first I must say that uh, in the Hezbollah now is uh, is the most comfortable situation it can ever get. Okay, nothing is threatening it uh, strategically. There is a tactical threat, the uh, IDF attack in Lebanon every day against Hezbollah infrastructure, and you mentioned the assassinations, which are relatively new, but I believe it will continue. Right. Uh, but it's not a tragic threat, okay, for now, because there are negotiations. So I here is what I evaluate, and maybe I'm wrong. There are different options and, and different evaluations here among the, the experts to the situation. But I, I think that what the IDF is now trying to do, and that's why you see more assassinations in the past few days, 
He's trying, I would say, maximize the achievements. Okay, as much as possible until uh, we will force to sign an agreement because there is the pressure, as I've said, from France and United States and maybe even Britain, maybe even Germany to sign an agreement. And we understand that an agreement, uh, I believe we won't achieve anything. So IDF is now trying to gain, as, to, to create as many damages as possible before the agreement is signed. And that's why you see a more proactive approach of the IDF in the past few weeks and, and few assassinations in the past few days. And I believe this trend will continue. The problem is that eventually it will be stopped completely with a ceasefire, which ceasefire is supposed to be good news. The problem is that it's not good news because this ceasefire will enable Hezbollah to preserve its capabilities. And I'm telling you the truth, I am, I, as, as a person who lives here, I am horrified by this option. And, and from the day it started, I, I told my husband, this is going to, this is what is going to happen. We're going, they are going to end it all with a ceasefire that will just put it at the same risk and the initiative will stay in the hands of Nasrallah and he will decide when and how and from where exactly uh, to invade and to uh, execute the next massacre. This is not just drops of rockets, okay? At is how do we prevent next massacre? Because these are the capabilities that we are talking about. Right. Right, as we've seen it so evident with Hamas. Um, I want to ask you about the uh, IDF strikes in southern Lebanon. We've seen those aerial strikes. There haven't been a mass ground invasion. Learning the lessons that we have from Gaza, from uh, you know Hamas, it's unbelievable the, uh, the tunnel infrastructure that they created, which actually showed you that all of our aerial attacks in the past 15 years with the different operations have been absolutely almost meaningless because they were able to retain everything underground. And if Hamas were able to do this, you can only imagine what Hezbollah is able to do. So I want to ask you, Sarit, how effective are the IDF attacks in southern Lebanon really? No, in southern Lebanon, again, there are, we still experience anti-tank missile shootings and drones launchings and rocket launching, so they're probably not effective enough, okay? That's that's the basics. Other than that, uh, it's not even the under, uh, underground infrastructure. In general, I can say that the, the since every third home in, in the Shia towns of South Lebanon is, is used for military purposes of Hezbollah, you can make the mathematics yourselves. This is not the situation now. It is happening. Every day there are attacks of IDF in Lebanon, but it is not at the scale that can neutralize the threat. There is a, a long way to go until then. And I'm happy that the IDF is a little bit changed its policy. And we see, as I've said, more proactive approach, but we should not uh, live in any illusions. This is not eliminating the threat. Right. And I want to ask you, not just as Sarit from the Alma Center, but as Sarit, the resident of the North, if there is a ceasefire agreement reached with Hezbollah, according to which Hezbollah agrees to withdraw its military presence over the Litani River as demanded. Would that put you at some sort of an ease? Because it's not it is not going to do that. I want to see hundreds of trucks loaded, and I want to see it filmed, loaded with the rockets from the homes, and we all know that there are, and go and driving north 
and maybe even live in Lebanon. These are the pictures that will convince me that I am safe. Is this going to happen? Every home, a truck should go to the parking of this home. We need to have somebody from the international force with the truck filming the applicants from the home on the truck and leaving Lebanon. This is an imaginary scenario. It's not going to happen. Right. So in your opinion, Sarit, is war inevitable? In, in a way, yes, but again, I believe that eventually what will happen is that we'll have a ceasefire and then war will be postponed again. Postponed. And nobody knows and nobody knows whether it will be postponed for two weeks or two months or two years or 12 years. Okay? Uh, you asked me as a resident of the North, so I want to have a gun. I, I want to have a gun. If the, the army can't protect me, I, want, I, I never wore a gun. You know that. I was on the border every day. I never went with a gun. I want to have right. a gun. I want to build a new fence to my home. And I want to make sure that there are soldiers present at my community. And I want all, 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 all uh, precautions that could be made. And I want to make sure that the budgets are allocated for the next 20 years. Because what is the, the easiest thing to do is to cut these budgets of all these uh, defense forces that are now deployed here up north and the, the rapid response forces in the communities, et cetera. But maybe, maybe, Sarit, maybe it's time for a change thinking. You know, we're talking, we've always spoken about the defensive measures. We've always, we've always left the initiatives at the hands of the other side, whether it's the filthy Hamas in Gaza or terrorist Hezbollah up north. Maybe it's time for Israel to change its approach in this regard, in which there isn't an all-out war every time, but there is also, you know, we're not just waiting on the fence for them to act and for us to defend ourselves, but rather can get used to a reality where we continuously uh, put them, put their forces at those risks so that they understand that there is a price. Maybe I'm just asking you if there is a chance for change thinking. Yes, but in order to do so, we need the support of international community. Lebanon is... is uh... It's kind of a diamond in the eyes of the pearl. Everybody says the, the Paris. My my grandmother used to say the pearl of the Middle East. Right. Okay. I remember. Even even more than uh, Gaza. Right. Okay. So, uh, international community doesn't want to see Lebanon destructed and looking for solutions, but these solutions are actually making more destruction of Lebanon because of they Lebanon. enable Hezbollah to take over Lebanon uh, gradually. Right. Uh, we cannot do this by ourselves, not because we don't have the means, because we need the, the support of the international community to enable us to work. Okay, we, militarily we can do that. That's not the problem. How do you do that if you need the help of the international community to take care of humanitarian issues that will develop, to, make, to help us to, to call the, the Lebanese to evacuate their homes so we can freely attack there. To understand that if we call the Lebanese to evacuate their homes, we are not committing genocide, but we're actually making sure that they are not uh, under the, the threat of our bombs because this is what Hezbollah wants. Uh, you know, we are kind of living in, in, in an opposite world in the past few months. We are being blamed in genocide. We are being blamed while we evacuated the the Gazians from their homes, but we actually call them to evacuate so we will be able to destroy the military infrastructures of Hamas. Correct. Homes. I don't know. 
the, the, the whole uh, conversation needs to be changed so we will be able to win against Hezbollah as well. You know, um, and that's why your voice, Sarit, is so important um, so that we can hear it and spread the word and follow up on everything that you're doing and the incredible work that you're doing so that there is a greater understanding of what this risk means. Last question before we go. Are the Just, keys... I don't know if, by the way, did you hear the barking of my dog throughout I this did. interview? Because I did. It's because there are probably explosions all the time. He's, he's completely panicked. He already broke two doors since this war started. So Wow. Wow. So last question. Are the keys to resolution lie, do they lie in Tehran? First, yes. And second, if they lie in Tehran, it's very deep, 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 deep underground because the Ayatollahs are not interested in a solution. They are interested in war and they are the architect of this campaign. And, uh, and so I much pain and suffering throughout the Middle East. Completely. That's the whole idea, to create in the Middle East a platform that can attack Israel and the West from various fronts. And this is exactly what we are experiencing. Sarit. Thank you so much for your time, your expertise, your work. We wish you all the best. Stay safe out there. Keep an eye for all of us. And you are truly the guardian on the walls, the eyes of us all when it comes to the dangers that is looming from up north. Truly appreciate all of your efforts. And I call upon all of our viewers to follow the incredible work that you and the Alma Center does on a daily basis. Thank you very much. Thank you. And to all of you, our viewers, we'll continue to keep you updated about these important events unfolding in the Middle East, which I remind you, go far beyond Israel, Hamas, or Hezbollah. It's a battle for civilization. May we see better days soon. I'm Shahar Azani, and thank you all for watching.